Hello, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm Olena Hodges. I suppose I can say I'm your host, Olena Hodges, as Katie Woodzik has officially left Washington and is currently today birthday furniture shopping in Colorado with their new roommate. Many, many tears have been shed, but I am beyond excited for this next adventure Katie is on in their Contemporary Theater Master's Program at Naropa, and look forward to some podcast check-ins later this fall. But first, we're giving them some time to settle in first. Today, we have episode 102 with the multi-talented Ryan Higgins. Ryan is an actor, director, and fight choreographer and was recently nominated for a Gregory Award for his fight choreography uh, for Seattle Immersive's production of Romeo and Juliet, which was incredible fight choreography. Well-deserved nomination. Congratulations, Ryan. Uh, We talk about his approach to acting, directing, and choreography, and how his work in each arena influences his work in the others. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you to today's sponsor, Island Shakespeare Festival. ISF is Whidbey Island's professional regional repertory theater. Their 2016 summer season runs July 8th to September 11th with As You Like It, directed by artistic director Susanna Rose Woods, Julius Caesar, directed by award-winning Seattle director Corey McDaniel, who's also the producing artistic director of Theater 22. And finally, Julie Beckman will direct her award-winning adaptation of Jane Eyre, which premiered at Book It Rep in 1999. For more information about Island Shakespeare Festival, visit their website at www.islandshakespearefest.org and check out their Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening to the Theatrical Mustang podcast today. Uh, This is Olina sitting with Ryan Higgins. I'm really excited to talk Shakespeare and combat and all things uh, like that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. Of course. Um, So to start off, can you um, just tell us a little bit about how you got started in theater and what your what your background is in Uh, theater, and then we can go into more specifics about sure Um, nowadays. Theater was actually not a in, huge interest for me. Um, I only started getting into it because um, in high school, uh, once uh, the sports seasons were over, and I, because I played all the sports, um, once those were done, I didn't have anything to really do after school, and all my friends were in the one musical that would be produced a year. And so I just started auditioning for them so that I could hang out with my friends in the back. I'd be like, you know, spear carrier on the left and just do that. And it, it never really occurred to me to do more with it. Um, my mom had me do a, an improv class when I was in high school just to kind of, because I had a lot of energy and she wanted me to have a better <laughs> form to direct it other than whatever destructive thing I was getting into. Uh, so she, she had me do those, and it was always interesting and fine, but um, I actually went to college as a, a computer science engineer. Um, and so I was doing like C++ and programming and all that stuff. Um, and it was all very interesting, and I could do the math. Um, I re- really liked it. It just, uh, 
as a lifestyle, I kind of felt like I would absolutely lose my mind behind a desk for all those hours a day because I like, I like the interpersonal. I like to tangibly be able to affect the people who are there in a space with me. And it was just too sterilized, the computer world. And so it didn't, I ended up walking out of a programming class one day. Uh, I just straight up was done. Just over it. Yeah. Um, well, my grandfather used to say a thing like, if you ever need to know who doesn't belong, tell a joke. And that tells you everything you need to know about the room, like who, who's, who belongs there, who's a little not quick, who, everything. Everything you need to know, just tell a joke. And I was in a programming class, and someone told a joke, and the punchline was, hey, at least it's not a Mac. And like that vapid space was in my head and everyone else was like hysterically laughing. And I was looking around the room and I'm like, oh, it's me. It's super me. I super don't belong here. And I picked up my notebook and walked out. And that was the last programming class I ever went to. Oh my gosh. Um, So as far as that went, it was very simple. Uh, But then I was kind of just petering around at the end of like one of my freshman year and uh, a buddy of mine, Tim, uh, was going to audition for uh, Merchant of Venice. Uh, and he was like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, nothing. And he's like, yeah, just come with me. Come do this thing. Uh, and so I did that thing, um, and it was fine. And I had another friend be like, hey, we're doing uh, theater sports, uh, which is at Unexpected Productions. Um, downtown here, there's um, the only college portion of theater sports was at my college, uh, University of New Hampshire. And so they were having auditions that same week. And so I auditioned for that too. And I ended up getting both. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, this I hate is kinda... you guys. Just like, I don't know about acting, whatever. Yeah. I guess I'll audition. I'll fart sure. around over here. You guys are trying a thing. What's that? Uh, and so I did that. And it was like really curious to me. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And I liked it because it was, um, it felt like sports like I said all I did in high school was it was very much a team mentality and everyone yeah. has an end goal and everyone's relying on each other to like try their best and do their like hardest work in yeah. order for all that energy to uh, uh, kind of complement each other yeah. so that more people can do this thing that you can't do singly yeah. uh, and so that mindset was there uh, and I like the I like the physical uh, uh, challenge of it to to have to be on stage that time and to have to project and I had an awful voice at that time uh, and I had like a teacher just absolutely beat the crap out of me <laughs> in order to get that stuff uh, aligned better and be able mm-hmm. to speak like a human mm-hmm. as opposed to someone because I'm from Long Island and I had an awful New York accent oh, and I mumbled and I spoke really fast and I was just incomprehensible. Uh, so I had someone just kind of beat it out of me after a while, but yeah, it was like a long, slow kind of settling into theater where I was like, no, actually this is something that is curious to me. And then you have to, you know, convince your parents that you're not ruining your future. And so that's its own little micro challenge there too. Uh, so yeah, it, it was definitely not a, I did not like grow up as a kid thinking of me doing this, uh, but it happened and the universe was kind of like, hey, why don't you try that? Yeah. And so I kind of I kind of went with that and it's it's worked out pretty, pretty darn well. I think that's such a great point. Um, the comparison of sports and the teamwork that that requires mm-hmm. and theater as well. It's very similar to me. I grew up doing theater and that was kind of like how I learned to work with other people. Right. And um, I think it is equally valuable. So many schools are all about sports and don't 
I'm not athletic. I suck at all sports. Every single one. If there's a ball right near my face, it's like a catastrophe. That, that's a potential For trauma. Me, yeah. It is generally a guaranteed trauma. Actually, <laughs> um, so theater was like my way to learn that as a kid. But totally. I think both are so valuable. Absolutely, because people. I mean when. When you break it down to just this idea of you are responsible for yourself, yeah, but you are also responsible to the other person, and like the idea that that ended up being like one of those major things in acting class where it's like it's not about you, it's about the other, right? And that's what you should be concentrating on, mm -hmm. and that was always a very big thing in sports, and it was always kind of cool to see that in theater too, where it's like, oh no, 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 there is, there is an invisible kind of map. Yeah. underneath these structures and n no matter what that kind of information that kind of energy directing is has a, a positive potential mm -hmm. it doesn't matter the framework with which it's taking place be it sports or theater it's a really good way of thinking just about life about you know being here yeah. so it yeah I've kind of always enjoyed that mm -hmm. sports thing too and also like in colleges uh, and this may have been just a, a primarily like male centric view but like a lot of the guys in our theater classes in college were all former athletes who had injuries. Like, who stopped. My class, too, except my class was mostly, most of the women were former athletes. Mm -hmm. Soccer, specifically. I was, like a bunch yeah, of soccer players. I was class. a soccer goalie Shout until... Shout out, Sazi. I hope you're listening yeah, to this. I blew out my ACL. Uh -huh. And that was like, okay, I guess I'm done yeah. with that for yeah. a while. And, like, all my best friends were all people who used to play sports. That's so interesting. And then once they kind of lost that physical ability, they still had that mindset. They still right. had a similar drive. And a need to, like, work exactly. with other people. And so you can yeah. kind of see that kind of, um, how that that like flows yeah. into like oh well this is an opportunity for me to reconnect back with that way of thinking mm -hmm. so yeah it, it always kind of seemed natural even though to me it was like that was an aberration of thinking where yeah. it's like I don't do that <laughs> thing but it clicked in and mm -hmm. so I guess you know, I was pretty lucky that way yeah yeah what brought you to Seattle to the Seattle theater scene um, specifically it was a very weird summer um, uh, uh, I was working in uh, Dover, New Hampshire, which is a little bum nuts town in the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire, which is probably redundant to say. Uh, but um, I had a month working there where I had a uh, Port Townsend brought up to me by six completely unrelated sources. I had met like a group of travelers in the store that I worked, and uh, my first uh, professional touring gig. Uh, with the New England Shakespeare Festival. Um, I had met a girl who had lived there for a while and she had told me about it. And then I had a college roommate who went on a cross country trip and through a whole bunch of uh, uh, crazy, crazy um, circumstances ended up finding her way to Port Townsend. And mm -hmm. this all happened in the same month. Um, and it was another one of those times where it's like, okay, universe, uh -huh. you don't have to yell at me. <laughs> you don't have to shout, I can take a hint. Uh, and so I came out here on spring break um, with a number of my friends and we went to Port Townsend and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful it's super cool and they have uh, uh, interesting theater stuff going on mm -hmm. but I'm not independently wealthy or ready to retire so <laughs> it kind of it wasn't yes, really yes. conducive to post-collegiate uh, place to live yeah. uh, but on the way back we stopped in Seattle uh, for the night and it it just hit a chord uh -huh. because it was it reminded me of all the things I missed from New York because it had this 
cool city setting, uh, but it was also all the things I was enjoying about New Hampshire, where it was this awesome city plunked in the middle of mountain ranges and surrounded yeah. by water and like a half hour drive and you're not in the city whatsoever anymore. And so that was just like, oh, okay. And I had uh, heard about the empty space uh, because it was still alive back then. Um, and when I came here, actually I think when I came here, they ended up closing like the month before or like a few months after I got here. So it was one of those things where all the signs were there of like, yeah, come out here, come out here. And also in college, a lot of my friends were going back, were going to New York to start working. And my mindset was, I just came from there. All my friends in New York stayed home and I wanted to go away. And then all my friends in college wanted to go to New York. I'm like, I just did that. And I wanted to go somewhere where I didn't have any connections and I wouldn't have anyone who would be there to help. I wanted somewhere to go that was a challenge where it's like, look, if you're gonna do this, it has to be done on your own merits mm -hmm. and not just because you happen to know people and stuff like that, which is totally great and I fully endorse people you know, using their connections. I mean, that's the only way that things happen in this profession. Right. But at that time of starting, I didn't, I didn't want that. I wanted the stupid challenge of nothing, zero help, zero anything, yeah, do it on your own or it ain't getting done. Uh, and so it was really clear to me where it was like, okay, cool, pack up my car and drive across the country with a few friends. And that's what we did. So there were five of us who came out and there's three of us who were still here. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And that was, oh God. It's going to be 11 times, oh, might be 12 years soon in September, I think it's 12 years. <laughs> yeah, that happens way quicker than you think it does. Yes, it does. It's really freaky. Um, so how did you uh, become interested in combat, in stage combat? That's a big part of what you do, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, choreographing stage combat. How yeah. did that kind of make its way into your life? Well, it, I mean, well, it, you know, eventually, you do theater long enough, eventually you're going to be in do a role that has to sure. do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I think it was either junior or senior, one of those years. Um, I had a friend, uh, Busy, who was uh, getting certified. And she was like one of the only people that had gotten certified in our program for a while. Like she actually had to make her own curriculum mm -hmm. in order to get certified. So she was 100% about it. Uh, but she needed a partner to train and to learn stuff with her so that she could, uh, for her final, be able to do this presentation because mm -hmm. fighting by yourself it's really not it's that not interesting. Really yeah, like only Edward Norton can do it. And other than <laughs> right. that, just don't. Um, and so I spent that whole time learning everything that she learned. Uh, and we just spent so much time sparring and doing all this stuff. And I loved it because it totally scratched that sport itch. Mm -hmm. um, and she was also doing um, fight choreography for this production of Peter Pan we were doing. And it was a lot of fighting and a whole, like there was all sorts of different weaponry and she had a really ambitious uh, idea for this hook and pan fight which would use four weapons and happen on two different levels going up and down different staircases. And she's like, I have this really dumb idea and it's really gonna be insane. And so we would learn both parts, like we would learn hook and pan each and we would just switch back and forth to get it used to so that when we would teach it to someone mm -hmm. it would be a lot easier because we didn't really know what the hell we were doing. Um, and I think that is absolutely what got it in my head because I, was, I felt very comfortable with it by the end and also seeing how uncomfortable other people were with it because mm -hmm. that's a very human instinct of, hey, swing this weapon at this person and know that it's going to be okay. 
that's really not something that assuages many people's concern uh, about, oh, this could be bad. Uh, and so I kind of, I liked that opportunity of being like, no, 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 this can be fun and you can do this and it can look really great and it doesn't have to be this brutal, potentially scary thing. Um, and at the same time, uh, I had also made friends with uh, uh, one of the dance teachers in the class, uh, in, our, in our college, and I had extra time, and I really, really loved her class, and dancing was one of those things that scared the shit out of me, and so I was a TA for her, and I became a TA for the dance classes, because I was like, if I can do that, then like any freshman coming in can do that, and like, I, I like the idea of them looking at all the other dancers, and then looking at this guy, who obviously was not a dancer, but who was just like, no, 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 you can dance the hell out of something. It doesn't have to be perfect, mm -hmm. but you have that energy. If you're there, you bring that energy. You're not, no one's going to be like, oh, well, their style is great. <laughs> it's like people just want to see that commitment. And so I really, I really like that. And um, having worked um, in that uh, dancing mindset for a while uh, ended up being the best, best, best uh, um, partner to learning fight choreography at the same time because yeah, it's all weight transfer, it's all balance, it's momentum and it's shifting and it's about uh, communicating with your partner. And so I really loved how easily dance could be implemented into fight choreography because some Definitely. people are going to be comfortable one way, other people might be comfortable another way. And I figured this way, that gives me two different ways that I can approach it when speaking to others. And also as a choreographer, it's like, do I want something brutal and angular and sloppy or do I want something that's more curved and has a flow and has a different way about it so that you can do whatever the director wants, whatever the story wants that kind of fight? Um, because often it, uh, the fight just breaks the narrative, it happens, and then it goes back into it, and I hate that. I cannot stand it. It was like one of my major problems with musicals. I never understood that the song needs to naturally, organically arise from the action. And uh, having understood that, that was my exact mindset for fighting, where it's like, oh, no, 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 this, this confrontation is a breakdown of interpersonal structure. Mm -hmm. Like, fighting only happens when uh, words aren't working. I had a really awesome uh, uh, foreign policy teacher who was just like, military action is the oh, failure of foreign policy. Oh, that's so cool to look at it on the yeah. microcosm level. Exactly, and yeah. that was something that oh shit, I'm sure I've forgotten everything that man has ever taught me. But that one thing, <laughs> mm -hmm. the idea that armed conflict is the absolute failure of uh, compromise mm -hmm. always resonated with me. And so getting, getting so to see that in narrative structures and in stories, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, no, this fight is only happening because these people cannot talk it out. Mm -hmm. There's a breakdown here and it has to move over to this other environment where people feel like they're actually gonna be heard by physically assaulting someone else or by physically asserting their dominance in a way. And that, that really kind of opened up uh, uh, the whole idea because so many of us have never had a violent conflict in our lives. We, most of us, avoid that at all costs. Um, and when you're doing certain shows, that's a necessity. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of people who are just like, I don't really understand why this would happen. And, and I always really liked that idea of being able to make the fight a very human aspect, a very much a, a an action that comes out of personality conflict. Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise, it's this story, 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 chunk of fighting, back to the story, hope it 
connects back in again. Mm -hmm. Whereas to me, it's like, no, 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 this has to be, this has to be like the point, the apex of a certain part of the story. So like in stuff like Romeo and Juliet, that play absolutely pivots around the conflict of Tybalt, Mercutio, and Romeo, and how that plays out. So if it doesn't, if it doesn't arise from that action, and then the rest of the action filters away from it, then it's a failure. Mm -hmm. It's an absolute failure. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where that all came to be, and that's like kind of my own little mindset as far as the way physical conflict works mm -hmm. on stage. Can you talk a little bit more about building the fights for Romeo and Juliet? Yeah. So you were the fight choreographer for the recent yes. subtle immersive production. Mm -hmm. uh, and you played... Mercutio. Mercutio. Mm -hmm. Right. So challenges of being in the show and building the fights and then also your approach to those fights specifically. Yeah. Um, well, with that specific fight, well, because it, the, the awesome challenge inherent, um, for anyone who didn't see it, is the fact that it, there's no proscenium arch. There's no seating. So there's absolutely no guarantee of eye lines. So I can't guarantee how anyone would see what was happening. Uh, so that became the immediate That's issue. Tough. <laughs> yeah, and then the other issue presented is was that um, because you couldn't guarantee um, the angle of viewing, yeah. that meant that there are so many tricks that you couldn't use, like right. naps. So going and, into the yeah, going into that a little bit more. So much of when you're building a fight is about what angle the audience is going to be able to. I'm just yes, yes, absolutely. Because uh, yeah, there are a lot of things uh, where naps are yeah. um, the Napping. actors creating the sound of yeah. the uh, impact. So they're faking the impact yeah. and they're providing a simulacrum. Um, and when anyone can see an angle, you can't do that because right. someone's going to see the hand hitting the hand. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to see how you're creating the sound and they're going to see the gap and they're going to know it's going to pull them right the hell out. Uh, so that became an immediate issue of like, oh crap, how do we make this more about the, um, about the motion and less about uh, faking impact. Uh -huh. uh, so then it came down for me, okay, how can we then keep the reality of impact on a safe, repeatable level? Because we ran that show for two months and I need to make sure that when Melissa knees me in the head, that <laughs> it's gonna be okay for eight weeks running straight. Um, so that was like a whole list of challenges there. Uh, and also because people, this is a knife fight happening in a crowd, and so we also need to make sure that it had the feel of danger while also providing uh, at least a safe perimeter uh, so that people knew that, like, ooh, they can get nice and close because it's dangerous, but also know that it wasn't going to overflow and impact them mm -hmm. uh, because that's, that is one of those things that I imagine as a, an audience member for an immersive production, you want to be immersed, but you don't want to get it on your lap. You know what I mean? You don't really want that too much, unless unless that's your jam. And if that's your jam, yeah, no, no, no. If that's your jam, chase your bliss, do your thing. I love it. Uh, but like for me, when I go to immersive stuff, I'm like, yes, yes, show me a show. I'm over here. I, I really don't want to do the thing. I get paid to do the thing. Don't make right, me do the thing. Yeah. Um, and so there was that. Uh, so when it came down to this. Um, uh, Emily Panic very much uh, uh, wanted to keep it a knife fight in the middle of the town, so she wanted this urban thing. Uh, and so that obviously, you know, that comes down to, okay, so how do we have weaponry? How does that make sense in a civilized society where these aren't people who walk around with rapiers, these aren't people mm -hmm. who everyone is trained in fighting, so how do we make that reality happen? Uh, and so I, 
Uh, I'm a big resort, uh, research dork. Uh, and so a few months prior, I started researching all sorts of different uh, uh, martial art forms because uh, I wanted something that was very, um, that was very person to person, uh, but also uh, something that um, the, uh, the, uh, the moves, uh, they needed to be open enough so that they can read at a distance. Um, and also because if the moves weren't open and bigger, then because you have a short range weapon like a knife, then all of a sudden that conflict becomes very close and very, very tightly knit and you can't really see because you're possibly just looking at someone's back and what the hell's happening. Mm -hmm. And so, so I wanted something that had a lot of motion and had a lot of movement, uh, but also felt super dangerous. Uh, and so I found a whole bunch of art forms. Uh, uh, and so I cribbed, I stole a whole lot from about five or six different art forms. Uh, uh, Muay Thai, Wing Chun, um, uh, I found a system of uh, self-defense called 52 Blocks that is based off of, um, it, it's almost, a, a, almost apocryphal in knowledge because like the, the one thing I could find was a documentary actually trying to trace as if whether or not it was actually a real martial art form. Because uh, it, it was more just like, no, this is like people knew about it, but no one could actually find the person who ever originated it. Uh, but it originated from uh, jails on the East Coast. Uh, and it was uh, something that inmates came up with for when you're assaulted in really close range combat and you're unarmed and someone comes up with you with a shiv. That's because wow. that's the other thing is there is no such thing as a knife fight. Mm -hmm. It's a murder. That, that's all it is. There is no fight there. You're talking about maybe you're, someone's either going to get stabbed immediately or someone's going to miss and then get stabbed themselves. Like, there is no fight. It's a, it, it's a killing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I wanted to get that sense in it that these are two people who know that, uh, two people being uh, Mercutio and Tibble, that, mm -hmm. that know the danger of their weapon. And so when, when they're going about, because we had a somewhat of a different way of playing uh, Tybalt and Mercutio and having a bit more uh, of a relation of a, an actual relationship mm -hmm. being there so that they they were definitely going at each other but they did not they weren't intending to just murder this person in the mm -hmm. middle of the street they were they were going to have fun they were going to teach each other a damn lesson mm -hmm. but they weren't there to end a life uh, but at the same time, they also weren't going to pull any punches because they're equals, and why not? Why not have some fun? Because if you're an equal and I'm an equal, and we can do this thing that other people can't do, yeah, we're going to have some fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so I very much wanted to keep it where these are two people who are similarly trained, and they have a they have a physical understanding of each other, and they're able to play within that kind of very dangerous safe zone, if that makes sense. Uh, so yeah, I cribbed as many uh, moves and as many different styles uh, as I could find that would really heighten that danger and would allow for uh, very close, like uh, two people connected in two different points of contact and also uh, larger sweeping motions so that I can concentrate more on uh, the avoidance of danger as opposed to faking impact. Because that to me, kind of seemed to be where this fight was going to suck, was to be where it was going to be faked. Uh, and I needed it to not be fake. So all of the, 
like all of uh, all the kicks that Tybalt has, where she comes running and takes a jump and kicks twice. Like I'd have to actually block them because uh, Melissa would need that uh, coefficient of friction to have her motion stopped because that then allows her to swing her leg around to do the other move. Mm -hmm. And so it was very much uh, uh, a fight that was based as, it was a dance. It was very much a dance and a weight share uh, so that when she hit me, she would hit me, but only on fatty parts mm -hmm. of me. No, nothing near any joints, nothing where any bone structures are prominent, all on triceps and biceps, and on a nice spot right up here in your shoulder where you can get some good hits in, but uh, all of the contact we had was completely, completely real. Uh, we just found a way to make it so that she would be able to pull enough of her energy, but also was comfortable giving me about 75% of that move, if actually tried, mm -hmm. would come across. So uh, it was a bit much in the beginning, but we got, we got used to it. And it, it just became so much fun. And I could not, could not in a million years have found a better partner for that specific style and for that specific fight because Melissa's so exceptionally trained that it was, I, I was just like, oh my God, I, what, what can't I do? This is totally mine to ruin now because she's, gonna, she's just so good. Uh, I could only screw it up. So the whole idea was like, yeah, let's, let's let her, because she's also, she's a CrossFit coach, a former gymnast, and is training in four different martial arts. So I was like, Great. cool, cool, what martial arts are they? Yes, let me go uh, research them too, because I'm a crib that shit, because uh, we're gonna use your strengths. And uh, because uh, also in just in talks between her and Emily, it very much came down to, yes, we want this fight where these two are obviously way better trained than anyone else in this, in this conflict, um, but she's got a bit more passion into it. She's got just a bit more, and he's just a little remiss, and she's a bit less remiss to hold back. So we wanted it so that they were equals, but she was absolutely going to be the one to come out on top. Mm -hmm. uh, so that we could have it so that Mercutio wasn't equal and could handle her, but she's going to get in a lot more hits on him than he's getting on her. So that we can kind of keep it fun and keep it great, but wanted to have that badass Tybalt who was obviously just like set in her fucking power structure and she's doing her thing and she's the one in that family who handles that kind of business. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where, that's where that all came from. The relationship, I think, between the two of you makes that so much more interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, between a man and a woman and what, what are those power struggles and mm -hmm. the idea of I won't hit a girl, you know, right. and... and than this world where you guys were already playing with gender mm -hmm. and sexuality and power. Mm -hmm. It added so much to that, I thought. Cool, really yeah, cool. well that kind of came out of an, like, just the idea of, cause this, is the f this is the fourth time I've done this show, uh, the second time I've done Mercutio, uh, and... Have you direct, fight directed before? Uh, for this show? For not, Romeo not for Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Uh, and it's one of my absolute favorite shows. I love it. I've done Romeo twice, Mercutio twice, and I did an educational show where, or an educational tour, which was a five-person version. I was an understudy, and so I learned two of the tracks. So I've also done Benvolio, Tybalt, Friar Lawrence, Papa Capulet. Like, 
The only people I haven't played are the nurse and Juliet, and I really <laughs> want to play them. Um, so one day, hopefully, cross your fingers. Uh, but yeah, it just something, it something came out of the idea of uh, the idea of Tibble and Mercutio. What if they were the relationship that didn't work out? Mm-hmm. Uh, because when it comes to so why are we even watching R and J? It's because oh, this is the relationship where they defied the family issue, the family fight. So. Why not? Why couldn't there have been a situation where people had tried before and failed? And what would that look like? And so it kind of came down to the idea of, no, I mean, there's a potential there for even though uh, uh, Mercutio is not a, a Montague, obviously he has certain affinities that put him on that side, obviously. Uh, and so it left open that idea of, ooh, what if, what if Tybalt and Mercutio had tried and it didn't work out? What does that then do to that relationship moving forward, especially in this conflict when we get to catch up with this story and we actually get to see it? What's it like to see all those years of like that, that energy of wanting to be together and then that knowledge that you can't and what does that build up between you two when you want it so bad but you know it can't happen and how does that then like burst? How does that then articulate when that dam finally breaks? And yeah. so it seemed way more interesting than the dick wagging measuring contest that it often just boils down to, which seemed like the most boring version possible. And we super did not want to do that. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, it kind of fell out into this really interesting thing of like, yeah, it's a man and a woman, but this is, it would be an insult for him to not hit her. Mm -hmm. So we made it very clear, like, yeah, I'm coming at you, and I'm going to hit you as hard as I possibly can. Well, it's that respect. It's like a a new level of respect for her. Yeah. And it seemed seemed like a lot of fun, too, where it's like, not only is it respect, um, but it is that understanding, because also, that's a relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, as much as they were the relationship that didn't happen... That relationship doesn't just die. That right. energy doesn't go away. It, it changes, it morphs, and it reforms into something else. Um, and that is kind of where uh, the idea of everyone else coming in to try to stop the fight and to break it up so that when that happened and everyone starts closing in on the two of them when we have the knives at each other's throats, when, when Romeo's like, Benvolio, beat down your weapons, like that is all it would take for the two of them to just stop and make sure everyone else backs up. So that, because I really, I just fell in love with this yeah. idea of the two of them standing back to back together against everyone else yeah. being like, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. This is a thing we are doing. You kids had your chance. You let the adults deal with this. You fuck off. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because it seemed like a really great way to add some danger and also a a cool thing to do with the story element that people hadn't seen. Because I really love this idea of them being opposed, but really being on the same page. Like really having that awesome connection where you know, you know there's this awesome thing between them, they just can't act on it. And when you see them acting on it, yeah, it's in an adversarial sense, adver- adversarial, I'm making up a word, uh, no, adversarial sense, yeah, yeah, it's just really word. badly articulated. Uh, <laughs> uh, this adversarial sense um, that is also, that also connects them. So I like this idea of they're together, but they're against each other because that is way more closer to life than you're bad and I don't like you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, I mean, most conflicts 
uh, armed, any kind of conflicts, physical conflicts, usually happen between people who know each other, not from a stranger. Um, and I kind of wanted to tie that reality in where it's like, no, 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 if this happens in reality, boom, this is how it happens. Uh, and also I wanted that major difference so that when Romeo and Tybalt square off, that's not a fight, that's a murder. Like, that is, that is not between equals. Romeo is not trained. Romeo is just gonna run at you. And Romeo is just over, over brimming with passion. And that's the only reason that he's able to survive a conflict against someone who should, for all intents and purposes, kill him pretty fucking easily. Uh, but she's also just experienced she's, killing. Exactly, she's suffered her own yeah. loss and that so she didn't mean to. And also off. we very much, I abhorred the idea of this villain Tybalt and very much like this yeah. idea of like this Tybalt who you kind of feel for so that when you have it's this... It's an accident. Right. not, yeah. And so that when Romeo is coming at her and it's just like, fuck you, you're the one who started this. Yeah. I came at yeah. you and you didn't deal with it. You put me in this position. Yeah. So all of a sudden now, because I mean, that's the thing. There are no villains ever. Even if you're the bad guy in the show, you're just the good guy in a completely different show. Like <laughs> right. you can't be a bad guy. You cannot be. Otherwise, you're boring and you're crabbing it up as an actor. Sorry, yeah. you fucked it up. Uh, but and so it so it really needed to be that Tybalt needed to feel justified, and you needed to feel that Tybalt was justified when Romeo straight up attacks her for Tybalt to fire back. So that when Romeo comes, it is, it's a straight up murder and you kind of feel for Tybalt because she just went through something. She just accidentally just killed a person who she cared a whole lot for. And it, it just seemed way more interesting as a storytelling uh, component to go with that as opposed to, man, I'm bad. I'm here. I'm here to do bad things. Yeah. That's not anything interesting. Yeah. Um, how does combat and fight direction and choreography affect you as an actor, like, and your approach to acting? Mm. Um, as far as my approach, and this may also just have to be because of the whole, you know, growing up in sports and also uh, in college, that uh, voice teacher who so thankfully uh, beat my crappy voice out of me, <laughs> uh, she was our uh, voice and movement coach. Uh, and so she very much was, uh, the person who handled uh, the more kinesensic sense of everything. So the speaking became a physical action. Movement was very physical. So at the time when I was learning all this dance and fight choreography, I was also learning all the physical schools. Uh, so, so all those things have kind of influenced each other and I'm very much a, a physical performer. I like to know my center. Like once I know the layout, I can, I can do jazz, I can do the thing, I can move, I can change my block, I can do what have you, um, because physically I feel rooted and connected. And so for me, I have to have the physical reality of a character uh, has to be something that's very important in my head. Uh, because if you don't know where, where your character carries their weight, where their center of gravity is, um, then you don't know that person as an individual. Because everyone has a different center of gravity. Everyone walks in a different way, um, be it because of height or weight and certain uh, um, coordination uh, aspects. It, you can very much see, if you just ever just look at a crowd, you can watch a million different ways of people physically operating these little meat bodies in completely different manners. Uh, and so for me, that was always something that like, oh, if you're going to be creating characters, you have to know 
How does that character operate their physical form, and how do they drive that form in the physical world? And then the brain operates out of that. So for me, it, I've always had to have a very physical understanding of the characters, and then that can operate, that can be spinning on plate one, and on plate two, I'm working on the mental, I'm working on the intangible, the, the thought process. How, how and why do they articulate these words? What is their thought? Why do they say this instead of that? Why do they answer things in certain ways? And then I can kind of concentrate on that singly and separately so that when I'm looking at a script, I'm dealing very much with the mental flow plan. I'm dealing very much with the more um, ephemeral, mental, intangible, you can't see it uh, way of operating. And then from there, when you understand why someone makes choices the way they do, then you can implement that physically and see, well, why would they move in certain ways? And would they not move in a certain way because mentally they're in this state? And would that mental thing affect their physical thing? And then vice versa, like, does their physical state of being affect their mental state? And so like, maybe they're not able to intake certain information or what have you, and maybe that's why they're not a good listener in this particular scene. Uh, so that, yeah, I just, I've always liked the idea of juggling those two balls separately. The mm -hmm. fact that there is a physical reality and then there's a mental reality to, to characters. And also, as a director, um, be it as a fight choreographer, which is a, for, a form of directing, uh, or as a director, because I'm a director, um, then you're also looking at the narrative. You're looking at the story structure, and like you got to know why people do what they do when they do. And if you have an understanding as to the physical reality of that moment, and also the mental reality of that moment, you can construct something together by melding those two together for a moment that makes sense at that point in time of the narrative of your story. So that you can justify like, well, why did you do that? I always wanna have two different answers. Like physically, oh, physically this is why, and oh, mentally this is why mm -hmm. too. Uh, and then also if you're doing your work right, you have a third answer. And like also narratively in the story, <laughs> at this point in the story, yeah. this needs to happen. We need this amount of energy from this person because they're pushing this idea forward. And so we need a certain kind of energy doing that. And we want it to flex and flow in this particular way. Um, so yeah, it just, I, I think the fight choreo thing uh, has always, how it's affected has been one of, you work on one thing, you work on another thing, because what you're really looking for are options. You want a million options. You want like a word bank, uh, like those old tasks we used to take in grade school, where it's like you want way more uh, words to potentially fill in than you have blank spaces. And so that then you have options to be like, well, does this fit? Nah, screw that. This one, this one, yeah, yeah, do that. And so like when you have a whole world of options, uh, both men, uh, uh, mentally and physically and narratively, then you actually feel like you are making, you are making choices, like we say. Um, and you feel good about your choices because you've looked at a wide breadth of options, of choices, and you've gone, no, I've, I've particularly chosen a choice that is tailor-made custom for this particular moment. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I think just physically you, uh, you, you come to that uh, state of being where it's like you, you want to know what you know and it's very physical and you want to be able to fill your way through it, but you also, you also want to know what's the game plan, like what, what's the yeah. potential fallback. If this happens, okay, then I can go over here. Um, like there are like maybe one or two times when uh, me and Melissa's fight would go odd and in that moment, it would be the two of us looking at each other and then getting back on track. Mm -hmm. And 
I think like that totally worked and no one ever noticed it because those are two very physical performers under trusting the physical state in each other and then going, cool, mentally, what makes the most sense? Cool, physically, here's how I bridge that transition. Mm -hmm. And then we can do that at the same moment and no one is any of the wiser. Yeah. yeah. Do you find that you are more attracted to classical texts or contemporary texts or all of it? I, I, think, I think when I initially started out, it was definitely more classical because mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was actually Shakespeare that really got me hooked. Uh, even though I wasn't a theater person in high school, um, when we read Romeo and Juliet, like sophomore year in high school, mm -hmm. like that was like one of my favorites, and uh, we did Hamlet again next year, and I was, I was always a big dork in English class. I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. Uh, and I was always upset when people didn't do the readings, and I was like, come on, <laughs> me too. Uh, <gasps> just, just read the words, they're so good. That's all you have to do. Yeah, and I, uh, yes. uh, the, the thing with Shakespeare was, I also grew up, uh, had a lot of hip hop in my life, and uh, uh, the only real artistic out, uh, just outlet I had was I did poetry. I was a crappy, crappy poet. Um, <laughs> and so the hip, love of hip hop and crappy poetry, uh, then all of a sudden there was Shakespeare, and it's like, oh shit, this is like really good poetry and the best hip hop ever. Uh -huh. And that was like just, oh my God, I wanted more. Uh, and so I really dove into that in college, and that is at, like when I first came out here, like I pretty much only did Shakespeare. Uh, and as the years have progressed, um, I've found a bit more love of finding, finding those heightened circumstances in, in what we term the banal, you know, in what to us is normal everyday circumstances. But, you know, the trick of it is, yeah, it's normal every day, but why are we watching a story about it? It's because it's an extraordinary, ordinary yeah. day. So finding that, that then just, ooh, that seems like a cool challenge. You know, like you don't have this reality of this is a time that you don't know. These are people you don't know and they speak in a way that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. So you don't have that kind of um, separating factors. You got to find a way to take that magical and like that, that heightenedness and you got to place it in, hey, this guy, this, this poor sap who works behind a counter at a, at a uh, all night gas station. Like you got to find that sense of the magnificent in this regular ordinary schlep. And so that, that challenge to me has definitely, definitely led me more towards, I, guess, I suppose, more modern stuff where I, I do have an affinity. Maybe it's also just the way the casting works out of, of the weird characters, of the odd ones, the ones who are just kind of not right or you, you wouldn't want to know what's going on in their head. <laughs> I kind of like that challenge. I like that idea of maybe you don't like playing this, this character. Mm -hmm. well, well, why not? Let's get in their head. Let's... They're still a person. They, they have a similar mental process as you do. Maybe it's not the same, but they do have a process. And so I like that idea of, ooh, I, I want to learn about someone who I've never been. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of I feel you get a little bit more opportunity doing that with um, modern day stuff. Because you just have writers who are, you know, they're, they're trying to break the form. They're trying mm -hmm. to, or break it and remake it in a new way. And so they're coming up with different things. And yeah, you just, you just get a, a few more opportunities yeah. uh, nowadays. Because every now and then you don't, you don't really get that opportunity mm -hmm. with Shakespeare. Um, it's, it's just a different set of opportunities between the two materials. Um, but if anything, I think, it's, I think it help, it's helpful to do both and then cultivate an understanding of both. That, that that Venn diagram slowly starts to overlap on each other so that your cultivation of understanding 
it doesn't matter what you're working on. You're, you're still coming at it from who is this person? How magnificent can I make them? How much of a huge allegory for whatever you want to do with this physical form can you create it? And also how pedantic, how human, how base can you make this person too? And that, that to me is also like just the fun part of the work we get to do. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, no that problem. That was great. Cool. Uh, I'm glad. <laughs>